Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, May 22nd, and this is the weekly market update. As always, the disclaimer, nothing that you see or hear on this video or podcast is to be taken as investment advice, financial advice. Please do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay. This week's reality check. I wanted to talk about the IEA's report that came out or this new thing that they're talking about, zero carbon to 2050. I mean, I didn't read the whole thing because I just, uh, I can't, I'm not going to do that. But basically, I took some summary material and put it together into a slide. And to show you the nuttiness that's going on in the West, not in the East, not China, not Russia, not these places, but in the West, Western Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia. But this, this is just completely absurd. This is, they're really going to try to go for this. And well, at least the IEA is saying what they need to do. Uh, whether or not this actually happens is another matter entirely because I think, you know, we've talked about this before. If you're going to raise the cost of energy, you're going to get less economic activity. People's standard of livings are going to go down. And I think this is part and parcel of this whole fits together what the governments are doing. You know, they've trained the populace now that they're docile and they'll do what they're told. So, you know, as we leave the disease that can't be mentioned on YouTube, uh, hysteria, they've basically trained people and beat people down such that, well, if we can create now the climate change crisis, we can force people to give up all kinds of things. You know, I was watching a video the other day of some chef, it was like in a YouTube video, you know, like a foodie channel, if you will, that popped up in my feed. And the guy was making cicada tacos. And they were like the insects, you know, I mean, you can see where this is going. Okay. Uh, less consumption, less energy intensive, more renewables, this kind of thing. So, you know, the IEA came out and, uh, you know, it's just another one of these big world bodies that uh, masters of the universe have out there, like the World Bank and these other IMF and these other things that they use to try to shape public opinion or try to control things. So anyways, uh, this is an article from The Guardian that kind of summarized a lot of the items in this report, and I'll just go over them. It uh, goes on to say here, exploitation and development of new oil and gas fields must stop this year, and no new coal-fired power stations can be built if the world is to stay within safe limits of global heating and meet the goal of net zero emissions by 2050, the world's leading energy organization has said. So they're basically recommending that no new development happens in new oil and gas fields and that no new coal-fired power stations can be built. Okay, well, I'm, I'm quite sure that, uh, you know, that's not really going to happen. Uh, we've already seen, you know, points out in the article even that uh, there's just been a recent offshore tenders in the UK in the North Sea for new oil and gas fields. So, again, you know, I'm not sure they're actually going to be able to do these things, but they're trying to move the Overton window. They're trying to move the discussion towards this. Uh, they can't just go in one fell swoop. But again, you know, no new coal-fired power plants. I mean, there's hundreds of coal power plants 
under construction around the world as we speak. Most of them in India, China, Philippines, Indonesia, Bangladesh, all these places, right? All these developing countries that need electricity. In its strongest warning yet on the need to drastically scale back fossil fuels, the International Energy Agency also called for no new fossil fuel cars to be sold beyond 2035 and for global investment in energy to more than double from 2 trillion a year to 5 trillion. The result would not be an economic burden as some have claimed, but a net benefit to the economy. We don't really have to have a debate about this. We have a country that tried to pursue this on a grand scale. Um, we've seen it's been a failure. We've seen it hasn't been an economic boom. We've seen no net reductions, no or at least big reductions in CO2. The country is Germany. They have spent close to half a trillion dollars on their energy transition, which was this big push for renewables and all these other things. And look what they have some of the highest electricity costs in Europe, if not the highest, more coal plants being built, more coal burning being done. And I'm not even talking about the dirtiest coal that you can find is brown lignite coal, which we've talked about before. How, how, how can these people sit there and keep saying these things with a straight face? That's why alternative media is growing. People are tired of being lied to. They're tired, they, they see, you know, anything that comes out of any of these mainstream media or any of these organizations mouse is you, you have to come with this with the initial view that it's a lie they are liars they lie constantly because they want more money and power that's what this is has been about and is always about the iea has set out 400 milestones like i said i wasn't going to read through the whole thing because it's stupid i'm not going to do it you can do it if you want i'll put a link to it the IEA has set out 400 milestones for governments to reach. Well, how about the people in the countries of the various gov uh, of these countries with these governments? They determine what they want to do, not an international body of unelected, you know, bureaucrats that no one put in power that are there to get, you know, an easy life and to control other people. No, I don't want to... Uh, achieve the 400 milestones set up by the IEA. What I would like to do is have a referendum in this country or like we have a laboratory of 50 different states where some pursue these dumb policies and have net migration out of their places, less economic activity, less opportunity. In places, other states that don't pursue these dumb policies and have net migration in higher you know, standards of living. That's what I like. And then people can judge for themselves, but we can't have that, right? The masters of the universe then can't get, can't, have power and wealth. That's what this is all about. Again, phasing out of new fossil fuel cars from 2035 and the decarbonization of global electricity generation by 2040. Its analysis also took into account a global population rise of about 2 billion people, as well as the need to supply electricity to 785 million people who do not have access to it, and clean cooking to the 2.6 billion people who currently lack it. This is exactly what I've been talking about. The numbers are staggering. In these countries where people, you know, are cooking with wood or animal dung, I mean, or haven't even flipped the light switch, they're not going to go from burning animal dung to wind power and batteries. It's not going to happen. The, the money doesn't exist. 
if you want to get power as quickly as possible and cheaply as possible, you build a coal fire plant. Or if you have gas reserves, you build a gas plant. That's just how you do it. And that's how you raise standards of living. That's how you fix other problems like overpopulation and things in poverty. But they're not interested in doing that. What I think they would like to do is just eliminate these types of populations. So going into the first slide, this was off of Bloomberg. It was on Twitter. Uh, title of the slides, Energy Seppuku, you know, suicide. California tells utilities to replace power from closing nuke. Cal you know, we know about Diablo Canyon. It's a running nuclear power plant. It provides clean energy. It has had quite a bit of investment made into it to allow it to continue to operate safely and effectively for many, many more years. And these people in California, the regulators want to shut it down. So you really have to ask, is their goal to really decarbonize? Because you have a, an asset that's already built and running that's providing clean CO2 free energy and they wanna shut it down and replace it with, you guessed it, renewables. Let's see what it says. California regulators issued two proposals to require utilities to secure 11,500 megawatts of new power resources to replace a retiring nuclear power plant and natural gas plants according to a statement released Friday. New electricity supplies need to be available between 2023 and 2026, with almost all of the resources coming from zero carbon sources. What are the zero carbon sources? You know, and then the, the aficionado or advocate for rebuildable energy will say, well, wind and solar, <clears throat> they're not zero carbon. There's a, a huge amounts of carbon that go into making these things. Again, read what this says. You're going to shut down perfectly good, already built nuclear and gas plants so that you can go out and create new solar and wind farms that have a net increase in CO2. Does that make any sense to anyone? And they're going to, they're going to replace this 11,500 megawatts. I mean, 2023 is in two years. 2026 is in five years. I don't think you're going to build 11,500 megawatts in the next five years. Maybe they can with the regulatory burdens that are out there, the siting, the planning, the permitting. I mean, give me a break. This stuff takes time. And this is just, you know, this is just, people always wonder, well, our, our enemy is going to be China. The next war is going to be with China or Russia. China and Russia don't have to do anything. All they have to do is sit there for another 10 or 15, 20 years, and we'll just implode from our own contradictions and ridiculous behavior. That's all. This is not going to work. This is going to lead to energy crisis. This is going to lead to blackouts. This is going to, and, and of course, the government will create all of this issues and problems and then they will proffer solutions it's not because of renewable energy it's because of pg and e and san diego gas and electric they you know they don't make necessary investments or you know it's uh because it'll never be the regulators or the bureaucrats or the politicians that cause any of this and of course they'll come with another solution with more burdens that's what they do see they create a problem with their stupid regulations and their stupid proclamations and then when it goes sour, they, they, they suffer no, no recriminations, no, uh, nothing bad happens to them. 
they just come up with another stupid plan. And then this stuff just piles itself on top of each other, like one contradiction on top of another. If the West is going to go down this road, it's going to slowly but surely become less economically competitive with the rest of the world, i.e. China. That's why China's on the upswing. You know, uh, if we're not going to be competitive, then how are we going to be a leader? How are we going to be a counterbalance to the so-called, you know, ambitions of what's happening in China? for them to emerge as a world power. I can assure you that if you have a problem with the way the United States operates its hegemon around the world, you're certainly going to have a problem with the way the Chinese do it. Because they could care less. Now, I put this on here. It was a, another chart off Twitter. What I wanted to show you basically is not necessarily ignore all this, but what I wanted to talk about is global energy production since 1800. In the year 2019, which was just two years ago, this is the world, you know, 173,000 ter terawatt hours, trillion watt hours. Look what the majority of it was produced by, okay? Fossil fuels. I mean, here's nuclear down here. It's not even, you know, not even 5%. I mean, this is, the, the numbers are wind and solar. You can barely see them. You know, it's, it's so small. I mean, it's like 1%. 3%, something like that, 2%. Uh, this isn't going to get fixed in the next five or 10 years. So you're not, you know, I've talked about this before. The numbers are so large. The amount of energy consumed is so large. The sunk capital and of the last hundred years, basically, of creating all this isn't going to be reversed or you're going to shut all this down and this is all going to increase in the next five to 10 years. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It cannot, it will not happen. And the funny thing about it is, like I've mentioned before, any kind of transition that you want to have to rebuildables or renewables, whatever you want to call them, is going to be because of this. You have to use coal. You have to use oil in order to build, maintain, ship, construct all of these wind and solar plants. That's what people don't seem to get. You know, how much energy goes into producing, I've talked about this ad nauseum, how much energy goes into producing this polysilicon, the steel, the smelting and re refining of aluminum, the glass making, all kinds of stuff, the cement kilns, the, the basic oxygen furnaces for steel. Uh, it's just like ignored. Can people be this dumb? Yes, they are. So getting back into energy, you know, one of the things, you know, I've been big on the um, oil rally this year. And I think we're going to in the second half, which we're getting ready, Memorial Days next week. That's the typical beginning of the holiday travel season. Uh, the restrictions on traveling and I mean, everything's pretty much opened up here in Texas. You can pretty much walk in anywhere without a mask. Places that I go, people still wear them, but some people don't but everything's open, everything's doing good. People are going to want to travel and oil demands coming back. One of the knocks against a second half recovery or further advancement in oil prices was, well, India is having a COVID explosion. Yes, they did, just like every other country had. And it's already rolled over. I, I've been watching this on a daily basis on Worldometer. And, you know, cases, case counts are already down massively. And, you know, as we go 
you know, further and further into the year, uh, we will see, you know, this number continue to come down like it's come down in every single other country. And, you know, the healthcare system there is not good. This probably exacerbated the amount of cases and deaths. But like any other virus, it goes through these bell curves. You can look on world meter country by country. It's the same pattern, regardless of the amount of vaccinations, regardless of the amount of masks or anything else. It, you know, vir- I said this before, viruses are going to virus. They follow, they operate the same. This one's no different. This is a respiratory cold virus. It's a little bit more virulent than a typical rhinovirus that you get in the cold and flu season but it follows the same, it's basically, you know, the same thing. It's not Ebola. And so what we should see is the pillar uh, or the bearish case around, you know, well, India is going to be a drag on oil prices, that narrative's gonna melt away. Wanted to point this out because, you know, we had this huge, the numbers continue to come in on the economy, you know, because of the stimulus checks and the, the pumping. But just look at this. I mean, this is a basically an index that they have that tracks the amount of truck drivers available. I mean, I was shocked when I saw this. I mean, I've known for a while that there's been a truck driver shortage, but you know, look at where we're at now. I mean, even compared to the recent past, this is like, wow, this is really crazy. And so, you know, this is going to contribute to bottlenecks, supply disruptions, increased prices, plus people that are driving these trucks, um, they're going to be able to command higher wages, right? We've talked about that too, that uh, wage wage increases are going to be one of the catalysts that we believe is going to uh, propel inflation higher. You know, I read an article, you know, we had the recent colonial pipeline situation where some hackers got in there, basically shut it down. But they also mentioned the fact that there was such a, such a, shortage of these gasoline tanker drivers or these fuel tanker drivers it's special licenses you need and certifications it's not just some guy pulling a trailer full of you know oreos or something you you really got to know what you're doing and they said that there's a shortage i mean and some of the guys were making like six figures doing this so uh something to be considered if you're looking for a job i guess but uh this is going to like i said this is really going to contribute to, I mean, I don't know how to, what this index means. I mean, I'm just showing you the visual that this is really, really, uh, there's really a shortage of drivers. So that, uh, that's going to mean higher prices. Shortages create higher prices. We'll see if this type of thing goes away. It's just another brick in the wall of the higher inflation um, theme. So I wanted to talk about this because I know this is going to piss people off. There's, you know, especially younger people that are in this. I mean, we're seeing what amounts to basically another crypto bust, right? We've seen this before. You know, uh, I remember the reading about the nifty 50 stocks in the 70s, the mania that was there. I saw the mania in the dot-com bubble. And now I'm wondering, I'm not declaring it, for you know, but I am wondering if we're now seeing a deflating bubble in uh cryptocurrencies. And the thing I go back to that I try to warn people about, and I don't know why a lot of people that are invested in this, and it goes back to the old saying that it's hard to get a man to change his view when his livelihood depends on him not changing his view. 
I mean, if you're invested in this, if you've made a lot of money in cryptocurrencies, if this is your thing, um, and you spend a lot of time and effort and invested emotionally in this, which is a mistake, by the way, in investing, but we've talked about that before. But if you've done that, you're not going to be apt to want to listen to reason or listen to historical narratives. You create a new, you, you're, the human mind's very good at creating narratives to justify behavior. And the one thing I want to point out is digital currencies by governments are coming. You know, they're letting all of the, you guys that are doing all that work out there, you're doing all the work for them. You're doing all the programming, the thought, the problem solving. And this idea, I, I still don't understand it. Somebody needs to explain to me exactly how this is going to work. When the digital currencies from the government come, which I think that are inevitable, you keep seeing more and more discussion about it, whether it's Christine Lagarde, whether it's the Chinese, whether it's now Jay Powell, he's talking about it. If the go, if these governments go to the trouble, and remember what they're all about, they're nefarious actors that are working in their own interest. Remember that. That's the premise that they're working from. They want more power and they want more wealth. Okay, that's the premise. They're not here to help you. They're not here to solve problems for you. They're here to uh, solidify and codify their position of power. That's the way it is. That's human nature. That's evil. That's how evil operates. And now we're getting into, you know, basically philosophical discussions and people don't like to have these. Do you think Christine Lagarde is wanting to introduce a digital currency in the EU because she's trying to help everybody? Or this putts Jay Powell? Okay, these people are put in positions because they do what they're told to do. Digital currencies are coming. I don't know the time frame. Governments are going to implement them. And all these developers and all the people doing all these all this great work on these currencies, I mean, from a libertarian's perspective and a free market perspective, I'm for it. They should be able to flourish and let the best coin win, the best methodology, the best technology win. Is the government going to allow that when they come out with their currency? You know, Federal Reserve comes out with a currency tied directly to you. No middleman now. They can track every transaction, every amount of money that you get. There's no more tax evasion. There's no more illicit illegal activities going on. Okay. They can track everything. Okay. That's what this is about. So they're just going to leave Bitcoin and Ethereum alone. They're just going to let them exist in a parallel universe. So every, because what would happen is everybody would leave the digital currency that the government put together and go to these other free market currencies or crypto uh, technologies because people want freedom. People yearn for freedom. The government doesn't want you to have freedom. So when they inevitably roll these things out, when they, whenever they decide to, they're going to make it illegal, the other, the other technologies illegal. Under, and they will use whatever level of force is required per individual. It might be a nasty gram. I mean, on the 1040 this year, it asks you if you own any cryptocurrency, you have to check a box. I told you this stuff was coming. I told it said back as too, far as 2017 during the last crypto bubble or the first, that when it, I won't say it's the first, but the, when it hit 20,000, people were calling me, should I get involved in this at the top, of course. And what about the tax implications? Can I not have to pay taxes on my gains? That's what people were concerned about. You think the government doesn't know this? You think the people that are running things don't know this? You think they're going to spend all this time and effort to get a situation where they can control and know everything about you, and then you're just going to walk off and just do what you want? No, it's not going to be allowed. And you're seeing, it's not just 
this one slide up, but it's week after week, I'm seeing more and more of this information come out. Now, you guys that know a lot more about this than I do, the technology, you may, you may be able to school me up and tell me, well, they just can't do it and here's why they can't do it or here's why they're gonna fail or here's why their technology won't work. But I will tell you that they have a monopoly on violence. That's what you need to understand. They will use whatever level of violence. It could be a nasty letter from the IRS or whatever regulatory body, or it could be an armed goon squad that comes to your place and shoots you down and burns you out. And they, of course, they bring all the cameras. You know, there's a reason why they perp walk these people and why they do these, you know, th type of things. And so that the rest of the rubes and the rest of the uh, peasants get the message. That could be me. And most people will comply. So if, you know, I, I brought up, historical narratives and people say, well, that would never happen nowadays. It's 2021. But, you know, when they had the, during the French Revolution, when they had the uh, currency that they were inflating, I think it was called the Assignat, something like that. I can't pronounce it. You couldn't use, people were using, you know, British pounds and Swiss francs and gold and silver. They were doing anything they could to not have to hold and use a hyperinflating state currency that the revolutionary government had produced. And so they just passed a referendum. If you get caught with any other type of currency, using it, doing whatever, it's the guillotine. And I'm sure people still, you know, did what, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of outlaws out there that are gonna roll hard, I know that, but most people are not. They're gonna go, wait a minute, I'm not going to prison for the rest of my life. Oh, it's really not that bad. You can justify it, right? So the slide, let's get to the slide. Jay Powell on Thursday accelerated the Federal Reserve's consideration of a possible digital version of the dollar that would be controlled by the U.S. Central Bank. Powell indicated the Fed was closely monitoring private sector payments innovations. See, you're doing all the work for them. Of course they're monitoring. They're going to find out what the best technology is and adopt it and then can everything else, including the launch of stable coins and the price gyrations of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. As stable coins proliferate, he urged enhanced regulatory oversight. We keep hearing this, not just here, but in the EU, everywhere. I mean, in India, they're banning cryptocurrencies, but I think I read an article. If I'm wrong, tell me in the comments. You're seeing more and more of this every day. And if you're sitting here thinking that you're that it's not going to happen, then I think you're the one that needs to, you know, that needs to reassess your point of view because the historic history is with me. All of a sudden, this government that just locked everybody down and destroyed all these businesses over a cold and flu virus is going to let, let, they're going to spend all this time creating a digital dollar and then let you guys just do whatever you want? I don't think so. Stablecoins proliferate. He urged enhanced regulatory oversight, which, quote, includes paying attention to private sector payment innovators who are currently not within the traditional regulatory arrangements applied to banks, investment firms, and other financial intermediaries. So, I mean, I had crypto gains this year. I used a software package. I reported the gains. I suggest you do the same. I don't, I, I don't suggest you get cute with these people, okay? Um, I suggest that you keep the game going, and there's other ways to subvert the system except, you know, putting yourself out there. You know, I tell the story of Peter Schiff's dad, Erwin Schiff. People want to bag on Peter Schiff all the time because he's a gold bug. Well, I mean, he probably deserves a certain amount of incoming fire. But his dad was a guy that argued about against the income tax, the legalities of it. You know, it's not constitutional. And he, he made very good arguments. And he created a, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but basically he was a tax protester for most of his life. 
Um, I don't know if he actually didn't pay his taxes, but he wrote a lot of books and a lot of papers about, you know, white papers about the illegality of the personal income tax and all these different things. The guy spent 30 years in prison. He died in prison of skin cancer. He got melanoma and they wouldn't treat him. He died chained to a, a prison hospital bed. You know, I can go out tonight on Saturday night to a bar, get in an argument with somebody, crack them in the head with a pool cue under the influence of alcohol. And maybe depending on what state I am, it might be manslaughter or, you know, third degree murder. And I might do three to five years and get out early if I'm, you know, if, if it's a first offense. You're out here being a tax protester. You're out here doing this type of stuff. You're out here doing things that are subverting the order that they are trying. You're, they, they make sure to make examples of these people. 30, 40 years in prison, no parole, that kind of stuff. So, like I said, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time on this, but, you know, I don't, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to warn people. And like I said, I, I am not the expert on these things. I don't follow it day to day. I don't know exactly what, you know, uh, technologies and how they're going to be able to, you know, get around the government and all this stuff and how they think they're going to do it. I'd be curious to know how that's going to work. But to just sit here and say, oh, they'll never be able to do it. That's what I usually hear. They can't do it. They don't know what they're doing. They, they won't, they'll never do that. That's not an argument. That's just hope. That's denial. And denial is a river in Egypt, not a basis for running your financial matters. Good tweet here. This is going to piss off you guys and the crypto guys. Hey, look, I'm a crypt. I, I, I have traded cryptocurrencies. The bubble has burst. This current bubble has burst. There's, there's too many idiots in there that didn't know what they were doing. Too many people in there with their stimmy checks. And, you know, you get the last man in. And then, you know, I think it was like the appearance of Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live seemed to be the top in the Coinbase IPO. I mean, there's certain things in retrospect, you look back and say, every idiot is now in. There's no one else to buy. There's no new money. That might have been the top. Anyways, I like what this guy says, and I agree with it. I've said it since day one. Even so, I've been in cryptocurrencies, messing around with them off and on since, you know, 2016, 17. But this is what my view of it is. Let's be real. 99% of people aren't putting their money into crypto because of decentralization or because it's a hedge against inflation. They're putting money in it to get rich as quickly as possible. If the get rich quick narrative changes, then the volume will disappear. I agree. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, when something starts going down, we're seeing the same thing in Kathy Wood's ARC funds. You know, those things are collapsing now. The liquidity dries up. And these things are like, you know, a fart in the wind or a puddle in the desert. They just evaporate. They go away. And we, we warned many, many times on this channel about various bubbles that would appear because of the central bank liquidity. We've seen unprecedented historical levels of liquidity added to these markets. And so we, we, we warned that multiple bubbles in various sectors would just keep popping up. And we've seen that. We're going to see more. We're going to see a bubble in uranium stocks. We're going to see a bubble in gold stocks. We're probably going to see a bubble in oil stocks when oil goes over $100 a barrel in the next couple of years. That's what we're going to see because we're in this perpetual liquidity infusion that cannot stop or the whole thing implodes. And let's be real. This is what most of the people that are messing around with crypto are talking about. They just want to, if it's going up, they're buying it. I mean, I'm not going to mention all the different coins, but there's coins that even a guy created a coin just as a goof and the thing was worth tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it's this Doge coin is still worth like $40 billion, even after it's dropped. I mean, 
what's going on in people's heads. These things have, I mean, I've talked to many people. Do you own Bitcoin? Yeah, I own some Bitcoin. Yeah, it's going up. Or somebody was asking me about it. And I said, well, did you read the white paper from Satoshi Nakamoto? Who's that? They don't even know anything about it. So to tell me that, you know, most people get, get crypto, they don't. It's going up, so they buy it. Tech stocks were going up, so they buy them. That, that's it's human nature. It's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, thing I wanted to talk about here real quick, um, especially when it comes to commodities, is that uh, Peter Sansbury has been talking about this a while. I interviewed him about a couple months ago. You need to watch this because this is the Bloomberg Commodity Index year-over-year -year change in light blue, and this is the Chinese credit impulse 12 months change, right? So what you can see is when China ramps up the credit impulses, commodities seem to take, move up, right? And we have a big divergence here in the divert. I mean, this only goes back to 2010. You could just say, well, the data set's not that good, but you could have a few, three previous credit impulses, which led to increases in the commodity index year over year. And when the credit impulses were pulled in, you will note that uh, the commodity index pulled back. So what I'm suggesting to you is we're up here and the commodities have really flown. Everybody's in them, but the Chinese have pulled back on the liquidity and their credit uh, impulse. So there's a divergence here. Uh, either this is going to turn around and go up credit in China, or we're going to probably see a pullback. And I suggest we're probably going to see the pullback in um the year-over-year -year increase in the, in the commodity index. So um, depends how far this goes down, how far they pull this back. Uh, see in the past, they've, they've, they've pulled it back significantly. And uh, I mean, we'll just see what happens. We have to watch this. But if you start seeing the commodities start to roll over, you know why. Now, we have a lot of other things going on now because of all the liquidity being put into the system by all the other countries too, not just China. So um, this may go on a little bit longer than typical, but uh, it's, it's just something I wanted to point out. So, so if we start scaling back on our some of our commodity picks, you know, there's certain things I won't sell like uranium. Uranium's not even really, the narrative and the story is not even really tied to uh, this. I mean, copper could be affected here, uh, some other things, but there's, there's other things going on too. This isn't to say that the longer term commodity bull market that I envision isn't going to happen. It's just saying that you could have a big pullback. We've had a big run now in these prices, these commodities and these commodity stocks. It's nothing to say that they couldn't pull back. And the Chinese have actually put out in their state organs, their media, that they wish to, uh, they see these prices are too high. And so We'll see. We'll have to watch it, but I just wanted to point this out because it's very interesting and divergences like this don't typically last. Copper nationalism. This is, you know, could be something that could be offsetting that we have talked a little bit about in the past. We've had more and more um, news now. Uh, the Chile lower house, that's their uh, house of representatives approved by 78 votes to 55 a royalty bill that would add a 3% tax on sales of copper and lithium over production of 12,000 tons and 50,000 tons per year, respectively. The bill also includes a progressive tax on copper sales, depending on the market price. The progressive tax would reach 60% on additional income when the market price is 
three fifty to four dollars a pound, and seventy five percent went above four dollars a pound. So you're basically at you know four forty five something like that a pound for copper. So the new bill, if it gets passed by the Senate, would see a seventy five percent progressive tax on um, your sales. I mean, it's confiscatory. It's confiscation of profits, basically. So when you have that, do not expect more copper to be produced. Do not expect new mines to be explored for. Do not expect more mines to be built. You will also note that if you look at what's happening in politics in Chile, the if you can believe this, the Communist Party is making a big resurgence there. As a matter of fact, they won enough seats, I believe, in the recent election that they are going to change the constitution of Chile now. And that will be a reversal of basically 40 years of free market principles, uh, they're going to, they're, they're planning on changing a lot of the, um, and of course it's for the people. It's, it's always for the people. Uh, I would suggest to you that uh, that will not work out well if that happens. Um, so you have Castillo here in Peru. He's, you know, in the, having the runoff June 6 with uh, Fujimori, Fujimori being more of the free market right wing, uh, Castillo being the left wing, basically Marxist, um, you know, the school teacher with the cowboy hat, the red bandana, the traditional, you know, cotton, you know, oversized shirt, like the peasants wear, you know how this goes, you know, he's, you see this same shtick never changes, right? It's the same, it's like a caricature, got the, you know, funny cowboy hat that they wear down in South America, that's oversized brim, that kind of thing. And uh, here's what he said, uh, based on his observation of what was in Chile. Let us note that Ch Chilean lower house approved a new royalty whose rate reaches 75% if it exceeds $4 a pound, as is the case today. So basically in the article, he's calling also calling for a referendum on a new constitution, just like in Chile, like the one in Chile that is being pushed by the resurgent communist party. That's what, you know, uh, now it's a different situation. It just could be, you know, you know, rhetoric. But, um, you know, you're seeing what I'm trying to tell you is, is that when you have Chile and Peru, that's 37% of world copper supply. And it, those two countries represent 50% of the new copper projects in the pipeline. So if you have a shift to the left, if you have a shift to policies that are not conducive to uh, people making a legitimate return on their investment, they're not going to invest money there. And if you think that a bunch of peasants up in the jungle areas of Peru are going to be able to design, build, and run a, a modern copper mine, you're stupid. It's not going to happen. If you think some state company there is going to run it as, you know, as efficiently as some of these other companies. Now they have a state mining company in Chile, but you know, as the things as these things get be more and more difficult to find, more and more difficult to mine, you need more and more capital, more and more technology, more and more expertise. And if you're going to have confiscation levels of profits, no one's going to come there and do anything. And what I'm suggesting to you is that if this kind of goes this way, if the perception changes, um, you're going to see less capital, and you're going to see less copper down the pipeline. Now, I will throw this in there and juxtapose this with you know a country like Uzbekistan, who is moving in the other direction. They're lining up a lot of their state-owned mining enterprises to be privatized, not only in Uzbekistan, but listed in like the London Stock Exchange. So you have 
that's the kind of places you want to go to. You want to leave New York, Illinois, and California and go to Texas, Florida, Tennessee, you know, Idaho. You want to leave places like Chile and Peru if they're going to go to the left and go to places that are opening up like Georgia, uh, the country of Georgia or, you know, Uzbekistan. Capital goes where it's treated the best. That is always been the case and it always will be the case. And so I think if we see more of this resource nationalism, this move by these governments to try and basically confiscate uh, more of the wealth so they can distribute it the way they see fit. I mean, you can, you can have the argument, whether that's laudable, whether it should be done, who the resources belong to, the people, those are all legitimate conversations to have. What I'm telling you is if you pursue those policies, you're going to have less copper and the price will go up over time because no one that has money is going to voluntarily invest there and they don't have the capital there themselves or the expertise or the technology to do these things themselves. You've seen it in Venezuela. We already have these Petri dishes, these experiments we've already seen where people have tried these things. They don't work. Now I'm going to get the, you know, socialist or the uneducated ankle biter that's going to come into the comments and say, well, the, you know, these resources, I, that you can make the argument, the resources belong to the people. I have no doubt about that. And that there's elites in these countries that cream off the profit. That's exactly right. And that there's abuses by the mining companies. Yes, there are. But there is no system known currently to man that can lift the amount of people out of poverty that capitalism and free markets have in any place in the world where those things are not pursued and where state intervention and status policies are pursued leads to less economic development. Those are the facts and they're not in dispute. We have, we have the experiments in real time. We had the Soviet Union. We had communist China. We had Venezuela. We have Cuba. You can go there and look at them. They're disasters. And what happens is you have an elite that uh, it's the same thing. It's just another, you know, grab of power and money by people that are willing to do anything, commit any evil, you know, in the name of the people. Well, people are starving. People are pouring over the borders into Colombia and these other places from Venezuela. You can, you can watch videos. It's on there. People aren't emigrating there and saying, man, I really want to go to Venezuela because it's paradise where the people come first. I mean, get out of here. I mean, I don't talk to stupid people. So something to keep in mind. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is something to watch because I think you're going to see more of this going forward. I want to finish up with a Trader Ferg quote. Uh, he puts these little nice things out there once in a while. Uh, I think he put this out before, but I just want to remind you. If you want, it's about conviction, basically having conviction, having confidence in your position and how you make it through the ups and downs and the gyrations and the volatility and how you get, a, how you can see across the desert to the promised land. He says in his tweet, if you want to be well rewarded, you have to be early. If you want to be early, you have to be patient. If you want to be patient, you have to have conviction. If you want to have conviction, you have to do the research and stop listening to everyone that has it. So this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, we were, we were advocating people that have been longtime listeners, people that have been long-term subscribers to the newsletter know, you know, two years ago, the newsletter was not doing well. 
value was out of favor. The resource stocks were out of favor. I was on and on. I was going on and on about the potential in uranium and all these other uh, resources. And, you know, everybody was getting rich in tech stocks. Value was out and growth was in. And, you know, was everything was hitting on 16 cylinders. And so we got into the, you know, we could see what was happening in uranium and you have to, to get in cheap to get the real asymmetry. You know, buying now, some of these stocks are at five, 600% already. Now there's going to be more, but, you know, wouldn't you have rather bought, I mean, somebody put a comment um, on my, uh, one of my videos recently, it kind of made me chuckle. I don't know if, I don't know what the intent of the comment was, but it made me chuckle. And it's like, well, you know, you wait three years. Yeah, but if you have a 600% return, say you sat for three years on your uranium stocks and they basically did nothing, which is what happened. And then in a space of, you know, a year, 18 months, you have a 600% return. If you annualize that, I think you'll find that, but that's, people can't sit, they can't be patient. Why can't they be patient? Because they haven't done the research and don't have the confidence and the conviction to know what's going to happen or have the high probability event. You don't know when lightning's going to strike, but you know it's going to strike. And the only way you get there is by researching, by reading, by thinking, by coming up with your own ideas. You're not going to get them from me. You're not going to get them from Trader Ferg. You're not going to get them from Cuppy or any other guru out there that you're following. And that's what we see a lot. And I talked about the degenerate gamblers at the dog track buying those tip sheets, trying to hit that, you know, $2 trifecta box. You know, and that's not how you have long-term success in this type of investing. You have long-term success in contrarian investing by seeking out areas that are unloved, bombed out, no one cares about, beaten down, and yet you can identify a catalyst for a change in the performance or the change in the fortunes of that particular industry, company, country, what have you. And then you take the position and then you sit and wait. That's how you get the 500,000, 5,000% returns. And they do happen. All right. I think that's it for this week. It is. And uh, appreciate uh, you guys listening. Appreciate the comments. Really enjoy uh, meeting you guys in the comment section. Again, uh, channel continues to grow. We appreciate it. A lot of people seem to think our channel should be growing a lot faster. Hey, help me out. You know, um, subscribe, do what you need to do, comment, whatever you feel. Uh, but, uh, you know, the channel, I think we're attracting a good, uh, you know, audience. And uh, I really enjoy doing this and enjoy uh, talking with you guys every week. So that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.